Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, Pete. In English, please. I can't blow a path through what you're saying. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for the season two finale episode 214 such sweet sorrow part two comes to you now via refracted lattice shield design and just a bit of fleet news before we launch into the episode alex kurtzman spoke with the hollywood reporter about the season finale we will definitely be referring to the article as the podcast goes on particularly with uh, some theory stuff also the picard series has added three more regulars allison pill Harry Treadaway and Issa Briones. They're all smoldering young folks in mysterious roles in the Untitled series. <laughs> Can't wait to get more Picard news. They were heavy into rehearsals. They've now cast what is believed to be the remaining regulars. So uh, any day now, they'll be going in front of the lens. We'll get a title, Matt. And, and now that Discovery has vaulted into the future that there's the past of picard that needs to be sorted out there had been some little whispers sent our way that the picard series might get a title uh after the end of discovery you know like in that in that episode after the credits that kind of thing but uh kurtzman also saying in the hollywood reporter kind of mentioning uh kind of you know fallow times in between star treks maybe not big ones maybe not big enough to unsubscribe to uh cbs all access but i kind of got the impression you know three to four weeks in between that's when everything is up and running i think we see that philosophy a little bit in not turning the star trek discovery season two finale post-credit sequence into the next star trek thing but just letting it be about its own thing again kind of reflecting kurtzman's philosophy of a little space in between the shows. Let it breathe. Wisely done. And uh, like I said, I, I think Matt will be opening up that podcast feed before you know it. Um, but uh, yeah, it is to be its own thing. They talk so much about the tonal differences. And again, the interesting thing that it'll now occupy the, the space in the past behind Discovery. Yeah, certainly not earth-shaking news that we will be podcasting that show as well. But Pete, that's for a different day. Let's head on to our mission briefing. The camera pans rapidly across the bridges of Discovery and Enterprise as shields are raised and weapons are ready. Pike addresses the ships with their mission. Get Commander Burnham and Discovery through the wormhole. Indeed, we are reminded Section 31 is on the way as we see all this chaos on the bridge. We see the attack shuttles launching. Second Squadron is going to go over here. Squadrons 3 and 4 will attack over there. The job again repeated to protect Ver uh, Burnham. And uh, we have the line, this is Starfleet, get it done on the Discovery. We have chaos in engineering as many people are helping synthesize the suit. A really long, great steady cam shot overseen by director Olatundi Atsunsami as we go from character to character to character, some of which are our regulars, some of which are our recurring bridge people, our Toronto locals, some of which are 
guy who's overwhelmed who Burnham says, it's okay, <laughs> I got this. You go over there and do something less important. Um, Pete, we even get, okay, a split screenshot. First of all, it's number yes. one, then Detmer, then split, split, split screen with Saru uh, talking logistics of the blast radius. This is like old and new and crazy, and it's just welcome to Discovery. Comic bookie welcome nonetheless there. Um, Detmer needs uh, the uh, the space that Burnham has to have communicated here. Um, and then uh, Reno continues to charge a time crystal because uh, she can't violate the basic laws of physics. Reese reports that there's only one life sign, Matt, in the Section 1 Armada. We had discussed that about theories last week. So these are all drones, nasty ones, as Georgiou points out. Uh, Bryce has had no success in reaching Starfleet, which figures in large in the epilogue of this episode and this season. Asked for words of wisdom, Saru quotes Sun Tzu. Much to Georgiou's uh, surprise, but he's surprised. A Terran is surprised by anything. There is the hail from Leland, and Saru reminds everybody. Initially, I was like, why is he reminding everybody? Oh, wait, Pete, he's reminding the audience, maybe people checking out things that, that, you know, there's been some space between this and the last episode, or they're maybe even checking out their first episode. He says, you will see a human face, but this is not a human being. Uh, Leland says that he's come for what he wants. Saru, in a moment of bold captaincy, orders Leland to surrender. No terms, no deal. It's 200 vessels versus his 30. But uh, Leland says that he should, he, Saru, should count again as the ships, or at least the one ship, sheds little drone fighters as well. We get reaction shots from everywhere, from everybody. Dramatic end of the teaser act as we head into the credits. That include everybody, including special guest star Michelle Yeoh. The episode is written by Michelle Paradise, Jenny Lumet, and Alex Kurtzman, and directed by the aforementioned Olatundi Atsunsami. Klaxons blare on Discovery's bridge as Reese reports multiple torpedo locks. Enterprise fires a full spread of old-school blue phasers as a perimeter of ordnance and explosion forms. Enterprise suffers a breach in Section 2, Decks 9 and 10, with 7 confirmed dead as construction continues on the time suit. We see that uh, Reno's crystal is now up to 98%. And with that, Poe, who, you know, we didn't have time to check whether she was still on the ship or whatnot last episode, she hails the Enterprise. She invokes diplomatic immunity for stealing a disco shuttle. And says the drones have a refracted lattice shield design. Pete, we don't need to explain to our listeners what that means. Everybody knows what a refracted lattice shield design is. But Poe is concerned that, like, Pike doesn't understand, okay? She says the attack has to be two at a time. And uh, Pike orders uh, that uh, the formation goes double alpha and follows the queen. Uh, George O reminds Saru that Discovery is not going to be destroyed first. Leland, of course, needs that data great kind of restatement of our central story push here uh maybe it's time to bring leland on board saru is concerned that this is a side mission part of a two-pronged attack no Giorgio wants revenge with that reno comes out of the bridge area science lab says that she has the crystal tilly's gonna go with her in case you know one of the two dies on their way to engineering get off her ass 
sir. As Enterprise sees Leland's armada prepare to make a run at weakening Discovery shields, Pike orders the ship between them. As a time suit and crystal are rushed through a corridor, a hull breach knocks everyone to the deck. Stamets suffers a serious wound to his side and is spirited to sick bay. Shields of both ships continue to fall. Pike orders them to maintain offensive focus. In sick bay, a bulbous headed crew being groans in pain as injuries are triaged, but there are no free hands to help. Dr. Pollard's not going to half gas it. <sighs> In the Discovery Shuttle Bay, Spock and Burnham have gotten there. The suit is ready, and it's time to go. Spock says that Burnham should just trust what she and her mother have done. He puts the crystal into the exterior portion of the suit. Burnham kind of stares into it for a long time because she's on a TV show and I guess can linger for a moment for a dramatic <laughs> effect. Then she goes in in an amazingly great effect shot. It's not the first time we've seen a computer-generated suit zip and zap over somebody but this is particularly good uh pete i look forward to the tv academy completely ignoring discovery again after this season I showing don't. <laughs> you don't look forward to them ignoring it or you expect them not to ignore it i expect them to ignore it i do not look forward to my expectation uh well my looking forward was of course uh, sarcastic uh, regardless says that he's going to guide burnham via a shuttle and then he'll return to discovery afterwards meaning he'll be back, meaning he's not going to sacrifice himself, meaning he's also totally going to stay on Discovery for season three because that's, of, of why not have Ethan Peck be a cast member in season three? I'm sure there'll be nothing to countermand that in the future. There's a Vulcan salute, and as their hands touch, there's a guitar riff. <laughs> okay, make sure that you stay in my wake, says Spock. He informs the bridge, uh, which does not attempt to stop him. Uh, that he's going with Burnham here and they drop shields so they can exit the shuttle bay. Pike has calculated Burnham will need two minutes, 47 seconds to reach safe distance and open the wormhole. He wants a cocoon around her and posed on it. Spock launches and Burnham sprints behind him and into a dense cloud of cover in a breathtaking sequence that brings them seeming inches over Enterprise Saucer as the red lasers of Leland's armada pick off her escorts. Burnham is knocked back, but is okay. Somebody on Twitter, and pardon me if you're a listener, somebody on Twitter said, am I watching a TV show or a movie? And the effects in this episode tell you nowadays it doesn't make any difference. Uh, but Pete, as uh, Burnham and Spock launched, Discovery had to lower their shields for just a couple of seconds. Uh, Discovery discovers that something beamed on board while the shields were down. It's Leland who is suddenly on the bridge. He's firing just like we saw, and our pals are hit just as we saw. Non uh, not not just like we saw though. There's you know they were killed before, and uh, Owo only gets grazed on the shoulder. So, you know, what Burnham saw pointed out a little later as a possible future. It's like the esteemed Earth scientist, uh, Dr. Brown, said uh, the future is whatever you want to make it. 
Nan and Giorgio decide to go after Leland, who of course dips into the uh, that science room. Uh, the Enterprise just can't help. The shields can't go down again on both ships. Uh, turns out no one is dead, and uh, Nan and Giorgio, as uh, powerful ladies, are both interested in making Leland scream. Yum, yum. Spock has led Burnham to a safe distance at the edge of the battle, and they set down on a sizable piece of debris. But she's unable to move the time suit's navigational system forward. A Section 31 ship opens a bay and a menacing torpedo leaves, which pierces Enterprise Hull. Number one says if it blows, it'll rip a hole four decks wide in their saucer section. Burnham sees the undetonated torpedo in Enterprise as she did in her time crystal vision. The torpedo is in deck five, section two, and it's live. Pike orders blast shields lowered and Lieutenant Mann to deploy the DOT-7s to stand by for repair. Blue and white droids. Amazing idea. I don't know where they get this stuff from. Um, A long time ago in a galaxy far, (laughs) far away. I mean, come on. We're talking about time and space, Matt. Wow. Did Star Trek just co-opt Star Wars? I don't know. (laughs) More on that later, or we'll just leave the amusing little coincidence uh where it's probably best left um they can't lower local shields to deal with the torpedo so number one and cornwell are going to go deal with it back to discovery things are falling apart come on burnham uh and indeed burnham says that she can't open that destination point to the future how will there be signals how will there be signals if they're only going to die here Uh, With that, there's an incoming energy signature detected by all the ships. It's the Klingons. It's a cleave ship, which we haven't seen in a while. It's decloaking. It has brought some Ba'ul fighters. Who's on there but Serana, who received the message from Saru and will fight with her brother. Pete, everybody's coming on home. And do you remember back in the fall when there were these short treks that kind of were a little waste of time with, you know, throwaway stories? Not that we felt that way, but... These little itty bitty things didn't matter. Oh man, they matter. It's all come home to roost here. The Klingon cavalry has arrived just in time. The D7s will arrive momentarily. Today is a good day to die. The drones alter course to intercept the newcomers, and Serana promises to fight as a Kelpian with what that means now. And Spock has put it all together that the Ba'ul ships arrive piloted by the Kelpians because Burnham's signal led Discovery to Kaminar. The signal's purpose was to prepare them for this very moment. She used each signal to lead an element they would need to win the battle. Starting with Reno on the asteroid, to Boreth to acquire the time crystal, to Zahia to find Poe to power it, to Terralisium to identify safe harbor once through the wormhole. The crystal showed Burnham a possible future to avoid it. She jumps from this moment. She has to go back and set the events in motion. Indeed, Pete, in order to push forward, you must go back. Wait a minute. Uh, By the time we get to the end of this season of Discovery, won't that have been the journey of the show? To push forward, they went back. Um, and time for that leap of faith, which Spock says is logical. 
We go to Discovery, where Leland is unable to locate the sphere data. Giorgio says that she knows where it is. She, of course, has that data transfer module. That's why it's not on Discovery. Pete, later, let's discuss how, if it's not on Discovery, how Discovery was acting as though it had it. But for right now, it's time to fire and run as Non gets knocked down. Will she survive? That's a season three thing, Pete. But take us to Cornwell and number one. Uh, they arrive in the Enterprise briefing room to survey the torpedo damage. They estimate about 15 minutes until it blows. Stamets is finally brought to sick bay by Tilly and Nilsson. I say finally because we had quite some uh, number of events occur in real time and as critical as he seemed. Yeah, I got a little worried when it was so long after that he finally gets there. Tilly heads back to the bridge as Culber comes in to comfort Stamets. You know, he was supposed to be on the Enterprise, but he didn't go. Stamets' injuries are pretty severe, and Culber must induce coma. But before he does, he tells Stamets he's home. That he, Stamets, is his family. Wherever they go from there, or when, they go together. Hooray! Burnham, at this point, is setting all five jumps. The future isn't written. Then suddenly they're hit. Spock tells her to go now. And uh, she views everything slowly as the time gate opens before her. It's it's a breathtaking sequence after yeah. the act break. Burnham surrounded by black space. Then the universe seems to open up to her as sparks fly around. And Pete, I mean, I don't know that anything can surpass the wonderful weirdness of the end of 2001 a space odyssey but darned if star trek discovery doesn't try to equal that yeah they could have gone with the you know traditional well we're just gonna do a little hole here to go through it i loved the vacuous bubble like nature of the wormhole and then we talked about the rubber band effect she's she's pulled she's uh she's grabbed First signal, Matt, destination point, USS Hiawatha, stardate 1025.19. Burnham sees herself before being rubber banded back into signal two at Terralisium, stardate 1027.32. Just in case you thought that we were going to do all of the... Uh... All of the signals in a row. No back to Discovery, where Leland and Giorgio and Nan fight. There's a hull breach, but everything's going to be okay. Uh, Tilly, in fact, is headed to Section 4 to fix the shields. But back to Leland and company with the fight going on. There's a gravity systems failure. The walls become the floor. Pete, Olentundi on Sinsami might be borrowing a little bit from Christopher Nolan. But again, oh my goodness, this is a real set really being rotated with real people, whether it's uh, stunt people or the main actors. The fact that you see the junk falling each time mm -hmm. the, the, the gravity switches around, i.e. the set is rotated. Incredible, incredible moment. We have complained hither and yon about our CBS all-access subscription dollars. Pete, I know it's all, you know, also Netflix-funded and venture-funded and this, that, the other, but wow, they put the bucks on the screen. It's an epic zero g throwdown here they always find a way to make physical use of michelle yo's 
skills. Michelle Yeoh, she, you know, cast this week or announced this week in the Avatar sequels, Matt, the the 15 Avatar sequels that are coming sometime to your holographic uh, TV screens, probably in the era of uh, Discovery at some point. Uh, maybe the last 90, one comes out in the 33rd century. 930 years from now, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, it's not boring at all, Matt, and gravity is restored, and Georgiou shoots Leland, who needs, you know, just a second to regenerate as she runs away with that data module. We go back to Burnham's jumping through time here. She gives the Kaminar signal. Saru sees her, then she's gone. Back to number one in Cornwell. They can't disable that photon torpedo. Maybe give it a new target so it won't explode. That's when number one calls up to the bridge. Plans A and B didn't work, so it's Hail Mary time. Uh, Pike says no, and uh, Admiral, I'll be down. Pete, at least that's what the subtitles say. More on that, if not this week, then in their season two wrap-up. But Cornwell, a number one, they're going to separate. They shake arms like Romans do, I guess. (laughs) Oh, come on. That was two powerful women, Matt, sharing a respectful gesture to say goodbye. And Cornwell eyes the manual access to the door panel there. The Klingon D7s arrive and join the fight. And Laurel thought her chancellorship would be bloodless. Tyler delights in ordering them to return fire on those that would harm their chancellor. D7s target the drones. They will wade knee-deep through the ruin of their enemies. Back to Burnham, who uh, gets to Boreth. She sees the crystal being taken. Then she jumps to Zahia. Next stop is the battle, and she's back to Spock. She sets the launch coordinates uh, to 930 years in the future. Uh, But Discovery can't use its sensors. She will send a signal. That's your number six there, Pete. Uh, With that, back to the Enterprise, Pike is approaching the briefing room. But then back to Discovery, where Leland and Georgia were fighting in engineering. Leland knew that the data would be in the Spore console, uh, but she kicks him into that Spore drive chamber. It won't hold him, says Leland. Uh, So he starts to smash, smash, while Georgia pushes buttons. And because we are frantically cutting between multiple storylines three four five or six different storylines pete take us back to the enterprise torpedo cornwell and pike can't transfer the antimatter nor reprogram it they have just 90 seconds she can bring down the emergency barrier manually everyone on the bridge could die his ship but she doesn't think his story ends here whatever his path may be She believes he can handle it. She pulls the lever and in classic Cornwell fashion stands face forward, arms behind her back to accept her fate. The explosion that we see in the exterior of the ship is huge, but the ship is all right. Pike tells the the crew that the Admiral is lost. There's a moment of sadness, but the time is now for Burnham. It's time for Spock to leave too, but he can't. His vessel is hit. He will have to stay put and she must go. Tender moment here. She just got back to him. 
He says that he had been lost as a child, but she taught him that he can travel between both lives, that of his mother and his father. She is his balance, and will he find it again? She says, listen to me, little brother. This is the last advice that she will ever give him. There's a whole galaxy of people who will reach for you. You need to let them find you. Find that person who seems farthest from you and reach for them. Let them guide you. Goosebumps, Pete. Goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. Um, he just wishes as she's projected forward that he could be um, certain of her safety. He will. She'll send the last signal when they get through and he'll watch the stars for it. As Leland pounds away, Georgiou taunts one last time as she's magnetized the spore cube. Pike arrives back on the Enterprise bridge in slow motion as Spock notifies he can't go with Discovery and will need a transport out. Tilly gets Discovery shields back up. Somebody owes her a beer. Spock says to Burnham, I love you. And she says that she loves him back just as he gets transported out. Then uh, she's ready to do it. She will leave, or she in fact does leave the signal trail. Detmer follows. Saru says goodbye to Pike. And Pike says goodbye, my friends, my family. In another touching moment. Um, things climaxing here. Culber says to the now comatose Stamets, we're on our way. And uh, back to engineering. Leland says this doesn't end here. Georgiou says, no, it does. Please scream. And he does scream as the nanites are pulled from him in an extended effect shot that is really, really gross in a really, really satisfying way. But Pete, suddenly the drones go dead. All in the battle, the drones go dead. Yes, and Enterprise opens fire. Georgiou lets Saru know that Leland is dead and control is neutralized. Something confirmed for us by that Alex Kurtzman uh, interview in The Hollywood Reporter. Poe roots Discovery's departure on, and Serana watches as well. Tyler, too. On the Discovery Bridge, Reno is still there. We had talked about Follow the Reno last episode. The ship is about to enter the wormhole. Suddenly, as they go through, they're blurring. It's a nice little callback to the motion picture. The bridge crew looks vaguely happy as they start their next adventure. Uh, exterior, though, once they're through, space is silent. We see that the Enterprise has a massive chunk gone, but the day is won. Pete, take us to the epilogue. In San Francisco, an unseen male council member, Discovery loves its unseen figures of authority in uh, official capacities, Matt. Shades of the pilot, uh, the, the second part, and, and Burnham's court-martial. I thought we were going to get some kind of reveal, like... Because first it's his mouth, then like it's the lower half of his face. It was like camera pulls back and it's it. No, we don't. <laughs> uh, the council member has acting Section 31 Commander Tyler, Pike, and Number One state their names for the record in their debrief. Discovery was attempting to escape and the spore drive must have suffered catastrophic damage. Boom. But Long-range sensors detected high-energy gamma rays and gravitational waves consistent with quantum singularity. What? But they all saw Discovery explode. Officially. 
And it's not, as Spock says, it's not their responsibility to explain things that even the sensor logs can't explain. Um, they all do highlight the Burnham went above and beyond. And that Section 31 is indirectly responsible. Starfleet agrees and says that uh, Section 31 needs more oversight. Tyler, as you said, Pete, now a full commander, and it is uh, suggested that he is uniquely suited to the dualities of Section 31. Spock says even more radical steps are required, such as removing traces of Discovery's mission and uh, evidence of the time suit must be wiped. Ditto on the spore drive. Oh, man, Pete, think of all the people who refuse to watch this show week after week who now are going to feel good that their weekly watching has been met with uh, canonical, I don't know, puzzle piece placing. But Pete, take us to Spock's personal log. Stardate 1201.7124 days have passed. Matt, Enterprise in space dock there. Um, now with the front of its saucer section hull restored. Not a refit though, Matt. Uh, this is the old lady that we've come to appreciate. Indeed. Uh, Spock says that we've learned that we can't learn everything. Uh, he does say that Sarek and Amanda will not speak about Michael in front of others again. I'm realizing now, Pete, we can forgive the narrative device of Spock's personal log as narration, given as how his personal log is now a an official, albeit personal, record of the things he's saying won't be spoken of again. But again, it's narration. Um, Spock adds that he feels comfortable in this in-between place and that Michael teaches him even now. Every night he looks at the stars for her signal, but remembers that time is relative. Pete, it's also time for something else. Time to get rid of that beard. Uh, he does believe that Burnham was successful. He chooses to believe it. Maybe he knows there's already a season three order. I don't know. Uh, he will proudly bear her gift, and he looks to that blue uniform and heads to the bridge in it uh, and uh, gets on the bridge, face shaved, haircut in that familiar bowl shape. If uh, only the official Star Trek website didn't show that image about four days before this episode aired. I think more than that. I think it was close to it, close to it. I, I feel like it might have been before part one. Um, but hey, whatever. Hey, Spock looks like Spock. That's not the most spoiler thing in the world. With that, Pete, there's a signal from the Beta Quadrant. It's the seventh signal. Spock, cold, logical, says that he'll run the analytics. So where to, number one? After all, he's the captain, Captain. Love that they head over to Spock's station there with the the very familiar uh, look into thing that jumps out. I don't believe we've ever officially been given a name for. <laughs> and my the, notes uh, have it as viewing thing. Viewing thing. There's okay. also cir circular thing. Yes, the uh, the lenticular patterned mat top top effects for 1966. But uh, again, it, we would just have this loving recreation of the enterprise bridge restored not without sparks or debris everybody there ready to go and uh we we've closed the loop we've put everybody 
where they belong, where they've always been. We've sent people who who never seemed to have shown up historically, canonically, both, neither, 930 years into the future, which is out there. And we end on the note of the Enterprise leaving on its next five-year mission. And for this season, the end. Of course, Pete, not the end for Fantastic Geek. We want to thank everybody who's been with us all season long, particularly those who support us on patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek. Whether we are using our Red Angel suits to go back into the past or to see things in the future, we couldn't do it without you. You are our time crystals. Whether it's Discovery, whether it's our forthcoming Picard series podcast, whether it's Matt launched just this week, the Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek, our 16th official podcast feed to be joined by the Picard feed once we've got a title for that. Come on, CBS All Access, help us out. Uh, everybody who contributes to uh, patreon.com slash Fantastic Geek gets exclusive podcast content like you know, the special Avengers Endgame spoiler-free preview. 48 minutes, Matt, to assuage your anxiety of what will happen to all those characters still alive, those that have turned to dust, some we haven't even seen yet, coming any day now that you decide $1 is enough to get you in the door there. Well, Pete, as we do our final threat analysis of the season, we must start with Leland, who, you know, from that throwaway scene at uh, at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas that, honestly, I was like, some <laughs> deleted scene, this is beneath our discussion, to finding out that, no, the Leland arc, you know, maybe he wasn't the season bad guy as Leland or robot Leland or whatnot, but... You know, Alan Van Sprang, the season-long baddie, who knew? Everything that he represented as the embodiment of control. Thank God, Matt, not some kind of origin story to the Borg. Let, let Star Trek be its own thing. And I know that's one thing Kurtzman was very careful in talking to uh, The Hollywood Reporter, that they're going to touch on the obvious events that lay behind them, but this is a springboard forward. And Matt, it's it's almost if you could go back to all this content that Fantastic Geek has recorded and my supposition that uh, eventually Discovery would go all the way forward. Indeed, you've been calling that for some time and... Uh... Well, we saw that by episode's end and certainly confirmed by Kurtzman. But Pete, that's theory stuff. We'll get there in a minute. Let's talk about Leland and his his micro drones that also help populate the, the massive space battle here. Add to it, I guess there was all those 31 ships that were drones as well. So it's just drones and drones. Gee whiz, Pete, I'm glad we don't live in a world where you can just go out and get a drone yourself. Yeah. I mean, do we call shenanigans on he got... 30 ships all drone slaved together and then they have 30 million 
ships within them, each micro drones that have to be duly target, targeted port and and starboard simultaneously to destroy. You know what? We buy it in the urgency of the situation. I think, too, if if your concern or if one's concern is how did Section 31 lose 30 ships without knowing it? Well, we kind of get a little bit of a story hand wave, which I will accept by the Admiral at the end saying, you know, not enough oversight. Therefore, I guess it, you know, if you don't have enough oversight and yes, they have to check in all the time. Maybe one can imagine that the good people at section 31 were like, Hey, what's going on? That all these ships aren't replying. Um, and they were acting quickly to resolve that, but Leland was acting faster to me. It all works in the episode, particularly you get a little wiggle room in a season finale. We are going to give, probably the biggest space battle star trek has done there's you know undoubtedly some deep space nine uh stuff that that could that could also lay claim to the crown but massive battle here massive fun massive climax to this story arc this season these first two seasons i think you give the show a little bit of a gimme there Pete, let's tune those long-range sensors to the long-range future. Uh, first of all, definitely, Discovery is 930 years in the future. Kurtzman's saying that very plainly in that Hollywood Reporter article, which, by the way, linked in our podcast description. So I don't think we need to debate that. But here's my question for you, Pete. George O's in the future, so no more Michelle Yeoh Section 31 show taking place in the 23rd century, Right. I mean, that's the discussion you and I have had off mic. Is she the uh, seventh signal comeback that Enterprise gets and she rejoins Section 31? Or does she go with them to the future and as a Terran emperor, empress, taken into the prime universe 930 years in the future – uh, lead whatever section 31 is going on then i mean there there's there's two story options right well one would think that i know kurtzman does say that that uh well here's the quote our upcoming michelle yo uh our upcoming show with michelle yo is how section 31 became that organization the one in deep space nine with no badges or ships and underground and why it was so uh, underground by the time Deep Space Nine comes around. So I have every expectation that we are going to learn in Discovery Season 3, which Michelle Yeoh will be a part of. That is not only my theory, but the fact that they're doing the 31 show after Season 3, that all seems to line up. I think Michelle Yeoh is going to be a part of that show, Discovery Season 3, for at least some portion. And then when it's time for her to exit... It'll be by way of Burnham creating the seventh signal, Michelle Yeoh popping back 124 days after this big battle against control, and she will slide into Section 31 under Tyler's leadership, but uh, Michelle Yeoh getting top billing on the show because she's international icon Michelle Yeoh. It all makes sense. Uh, hopefully, uh, Shazad Latif's going to be a, a big part of that as well, maybe even some other people, Matt, we've met along the way. 
Um, but I'll, this night, I'll do you in better, Pete, if I could. Yeah. Uh, what if, you know, let's pick a number, 10 episodes, 13 episodes, whatever number you want to give it. What if three, four, five, six of them, Section 31 has to team up with, hmm, I don't know, the Enterprise. Then you get to have your cake and eat it, too. Yeah. You don't quite do a Pike show, but you get to do a Pike show. But, Matt, I have a petition. Will you sign it? Pete, everybody knows petition works. Petitions work. I mean, my goodness. We sent the rocks for Fox. That worked so well for Alcatraz. People sent... What was the other show where they sent things? And they got BJ and season? Bear? <laughs> What's that? BJ and the Bear? That might have been that one. But, I mean, look. Petitions are nice and all. I, I think... I think CBS All Access is immune to that in that are you going to subscribe to the Picard show? Yes or no? If yes, great. There's 10 weeks. Or if they play their billing cycles right, you know, three months. Let's not forget, by the way, Pete, that – and I don't I don't take criticism for this. It might sound, criti sound critical, but I'm not – it is what it is. The Star Trek Discovery, the production, wanted – more wanted another episode for their finale they got it what was the practical effect of that that this episode aired one week after the billing cycle would have ended if you re-upped for episode 201 so they got an extra month out of us you and i are complaining a whole lot less we're enjoying watching twilight zone as well but you know bottom line is this they don't need every little last thing in the world if they're going to get people back for subscriptions for Picard, which is the next biggie, of course, and the next one to drop, not counting short treks that are coming as well. Yeah, and the idea that they would have new Star Trek every week. I mean, listen, that THR article says that two years down the road, perhaps that's a thing. That would also be cloyingly obvious as far as no no don't don't cancel your subscription stay and well this thing comes next week um so understand that's not how tv production works we have discovery ongoing for season three which strangely had to um be reminded to people this week that wait no this is not the end of the show they didn't send them to the future and we'll never see them again that, that people needed to be reminded of that. We've got the Picard series, which will be the next series seen on CBS All Access. We have... Well, the next Star Trek series. Pete, I don't know if you saw at the beginning of... <laughs> we were all forced to watch at the beginning of this season finale an ad for a, a show about a thing. I've seen this episode twice. I could not tell you the name of the show. Strange had... uh, Angel, right? Is that it? Straight... So... Pete, listen, the fact that we can't remember yeah. tells, tells you just the state of things. And you know what? If you're out and there and it's season things, two as well. I had never seen season one, <laughs> never seen advertisement for season one. And if you love Strange Angel, you go for it. We're not saying don't watch it. It's just, look, there's a reason. And I continue, this is, I continue to come back to this fact, Pete. Here's why more Star Trek is being made. Because people enjoyed Discovery and then canceled their subscriptions. Mm -hmm. And that's the same thing with Disney Plus, which I am through the moon. I imagine it's going to be the best thing ever, not just for Mandalorian, for old stuff I can watch with my daughter. Man, is there going to be stuff like Tailspin and some of that 80s, 90s cartoons, et cetera, et cetera. Their whole I... vault. They're saying their whole vault, Matt. And I can't wait, but I'm going to go month to month because the minutes, it, 
that's my little way of saying, hey, if I'm not happy, I click cancel versus take all my money up front, which is a separate discussion for Disney+. Plus. My point being, there is more Star Trek because people voted with their dollars for Discovery and not for other shows. And that's why there's more Star Trek on the way with no disrespect to those other shows. So after Picard, we've got lower decks on deck, then Discovery Season 3, then what we're told the uh the georgiou section 31 spinoff not gonna say that maybe a, a second season of picard occurs before then we'll we'll just have to see i i just don't know that their infrastructure that you know the the timeline of writing it to uh filming it to airing it is a year um and Whatever you're going to say about Discovery, and I think Matt and I are, are both very, very pleased with what we've received this season, particularly in the tightness, this 14-episode run, no breaks, everything done here. And we'll talk all about that in our season two wrap coming sometime next week. But um, there's so much going on. I just don't know that they can accommodate yet another show. Would it be great to have an Enterprise led by Pike and number one and Ethan Peck, Spock and Lieutenant Amin and Lieutenant Mann and all these characters on the Enterprise. We don't really know it would. I just don't know that it can happen. I don't know about the practicality of it. All right. You signed a petition. I, I get it. You'd like to see it. But, you know, we, we have these things. We're, we're finally, Matt, finally. How long have I, have you and I talked about let's get star trek back to where it is the best in the future that's the such the tantalizing nature of the picard show and now that's not even the future anymore i think there's tons of possibilities i think that if they want to think outside the box and if the scheduling and budgeting comes together maybe there's a pike enterprise miniseries short series tv movie i mean tv movie my goodness how many how many real movies how many cinematic releases have effects lesser than what we've seen in such sweet sorrow parts one and two um but maybe you do something like that if it makes sense financially if it makes sense scheduling etc but you're absolutely right we now have two star treks in points on the timeline that we have yet to explore in an open way. I mean, yes, all of Discovery has taken place in a period of the timeline that, you know, was prior to Classic Trek, but things more open today than they were a week ago and just tons of potential there. And just as as fun and this this somehow sounds negative, but the first two seasons of Discovery have been amazing and epic. The notion that they've now thrown all of that away and taken away everything familiar and now they're going to be going on this Star Trek and going on this exploration to things that nobody knows. Nobody knows what's the state of the Romulan Empire. What's the state of this? And it's everything is wide open in a really, really exciting way. And with a bunch of people that I think even at the beginning of this season, I wouldn't have pegged, you know, more opportunities to get to know Detmer better or, oh, wait, look, Reno is going to stick around after all. No, she's busy doing stand-up stuff and she has a show on amazon well since she filmed that her first appearance on discovery 
Tignataro's Amazon show has been canceled. So just this really exciting configuration for the future. It is. And when you consider that we've got Starfleet's most advanced vessel that looked out of place with everything else that's now going to be the oldest ship in some future star fleet with a spore drive that it can continue to use uh with all these characters that kurtzman promises we're going to continue to get to know with saru who's going to have 930 years of the kelpians kicking in in real time to try to catch up with um it's just loaded with promise how how does discovery integrate in that time and and go on missions and become part of that time where they're going to stay number two matt let's talk about number one and uh There, let me put it this way, Pete. We'll we'll get a little bit more into our uh, with our season wrap and to the interview that Michelle Paradise, the season three showrunner, had with Trek Core. Um, bottom line is this: she says, "Oh, it's definitely stated by Pike that Pike calls number one Una." Okay, well, let's start with this, Pete. When there is the official inquiry by Starfleet Command. Everybody gives their official names, and she says number one. Now, could it be that Una, you know, the feminine of Uno, meaning one, could that be uh, her nickname? Absolutely. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with her having a real name. It's a little weird that her name name is number one, but I like the conceit that her official name, as officially stated at an official Starfleet inquiry, her official name is number one. I don't know what the story is behind that, but I know... Where that came from, Pete, that came from the typewriter of Eugene Roddenberry himself. The discussion we had off mic as we're both watching the episode was when Pike is ordering her to switch places that she's going to head to the bridge, that he's going to head to the briefing room to try to help Admiral Cornwell. Um, He says, and uh. And we're combing back through the subtitles. It sounded like in this moment of highest tension, he uses number one's name and calls her Anna. I know this, Pete, without saying too much. And let me say with complete honesty here, you know, we, we are always truthful on the podcast. Is there some stuff that we joke around with where obviously the listener knows it's not true? Like when I say, ahoy, Pete, it's not that we are in separate spaceships. You know, it's just a little fun conceit. Let me say in all sincerity, there's at least one thing, I'll choose my words carefully here, there's at least one thing that Michelle Paradise says in that interview that we know is not true. I think, too, there's also a little backtracking or a little, uh, wait, no, I mean, uh, 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 and things of that sort. That said, do I say, am I therefore saying, oh, she's lying about Una? No. You you want to give her a name? That's Again, that's fine. Let's just be clear. It is a nickname. Definitely, this show establishes that her official name, legal name, her present legal name is number one. If we're going to speak about a show that come the epilogue here of season two establishes this canonical cover up, Matt, no spore drive discovery. What discovery? 
uh, yet there remains the original series episode where Uhura calls out to Kirk that Discovery is is on the scene someplace. So obviously that's a different ship um, that we have uh, no record of Burnham. Spock has no sister that his parents will ever speak about. And what with the estrangement emotionally standing of Sarek and Spock not going to come up at all that we've we've dealt with all of these things that made uh fans who went back 52 years the technical term is butthurt um that now again we push forward that this new iteration of star trek is officially new and unfettered from the past well, let me just correct you on one tiny thing. I, I think it's not that they are removing Burnham from the record. Spock says to remove traces of Discovery's mission. Uh, I think specifically speaking of the mission of, uh, of you know going through the wormhole and removing evidence of the time suit as well as the spore drive. So I think that, yes, one can perhaps comb the archives uh, of Starfleet records and see, say, oh, there was this Commander Michael Burnham killed at the Battle of the Bleeps and Bloops. Um, can it please, 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 producers, can we call the Section 31 Enterprise Discovery Conflict the Battle of the Bleeps and Bloops? <laughs> Make that canon. Sign that petition. But, you know, killed there, RIP. Huh, the file's a little light. Oh, well. I'm sure you could go to any file of a dis yeah i mean my goodness pete here we are what six months eight months something like that after the klingon war plenty of starfleet officers have died plenty of ships have been lost and this just happens to be one you know after the fact one that was on the process of of kind of quote-unquote coming home i know they had gone to earth at the end of season one but you know one that was kind of still wrapping up their post-war mission and and then tragically destroyed um to me it all fits it all it, it it's a really loving and concerted way to answer those questions and you know though we have some concerns about kurtzman and though we have some concerns about paradise etc there's such there's such a patient way in which these questions have been answered as opposed to oh man tempest in a teapot what's the short-term effect going to be on subscriptions if we don't answer this right away quick rewrite quick this quick you know take to kurtzman looking into the camera explaining things to people no it was let the story speak for itself tell the story that you plan to tell and it really all has worked out what has this show done the best over 29 episodes but reinvent itself we had the shenzhou we had the transfer to discovery and lorca the klingon war the mirror universe, uh, the end of the Klingon war season two, this just tremendously, uh, tight, compact time. When we look back at it, that the red angel saga, uh, stretches over. And now when they go forward 930 years to the future, you know, new uniforms probably to come redesign reconfigured uh vessel in the discovery etc cetera, etc cetera. i mean come on matt every every federation ship in the future 930 years in the future has a spore drive and a red angel suit everybody has a red angel suit it's just like completely normal 
Well, Pete, that assumes that they're going to reintegrate into Starfleet quickly. I think there's an argument to be made. If you're going to shoot for whatever, a 13-episode season, and it ends up being long, and it's 14 episodes, and you do a short track since 15, but, you know, whatever. In those 13 episodes, let's say, let's use season one as a template. You could do the first two episodes of, oh, man, we are lost in space, and then, you know, turn the corner at the end of episode 302, and it's the Enterprise L that has come, or, you know, whatever it's going to be, and then, you know, reboot the show again, if you will, as they enter this this larger world. I would say, too, in TV terms, yes, the show continues to reboot, to reinvent, to re-re-re, whatever word you want to use. I think another way to look at it is that's life. It's not the way TV normally works, but that's life. You think of the person any of us was in high school. Well, we were in a high school show. And then after high school, let's say you go to college. Well, now all of a sudden, it's a college show. And then after that, it's a coming-of-age workplace show. Like, life reinvents itself every so often. And sometimes, you know, things like war breaks out. Or sometimes you change where you're at. Or sometimes there are these drastic twists and turns that certainly, you know, Discovery is not the first show to be doing something like, like that. But it's a little less this oh man, eject everything on the show and start fresh. And I think this really concerted effort to be the opposite of episodic. And at the end you go, and thus the engineer shall always be the engineer for the remaining 124 episodes. I wonder, had it always been part of the plan to ultimately bring discovery well into the future? Um, Perhaps a, an answer for another day. Let's, Forget about the future, Matt. Let's talk a little bit about the past that Admiral Cornwell takes the sacrificial role here uh, from Pike. You know, Pike's future being set in the chair, that other chair. Beep, beep. Um, But Cornwell, you know, R.I.P. and uh, Jane Brooke, you know, really sad to see her go. and, And she has carved out an absolute niche in Star Trek television lore. She has, and and it was sad to see her go. I know we discussed in the, the podcast for Such Sweet Sorrow Part 1 that surely the show must demand some kind of loss here. We've had few people die for sure, um, even with George O., you know, uh, being killed off, quickly replaced by Terran George O., things like that. You know, bottom line is this. Admiral Cornwell was killed off in order to satisfy that while the show is also juggling, planting the seeds for the Section 31 show, while the show is planting the seeds for Season 3, while the show is planting the seeds for, you know, the Pike second five-year mission, which we've seen glimpses of in The Cage. So it had so many... Literally, it's setting up three different shows, one of which has already been made in Classic Trek. Um... Somebody had to pay the price, and I guess in retrospect, she was the obvious choice. Definitely hate to see her go. I guess the good news is this. She has a long, long, long career ahead of her of, you know, walking those planks on the the, the convention circuit and being a beloved presence there. And uh, Pete, I look forward to seeing her speak one day. Absolutely. Tyler is seen alive by Klingon, something that has been pointed to throughout the season that this would destabilize 
the Empire, make Lorel uh, a liar? Is this as simple as, well, this was her loyal retinue and no one else knows that he made it? I think you could explain it away in one line of dialogue as simply as you did. I think also, as I said before, you get a little extra wiggle room in a finale where it's like, do we really want to take five minutes of, watch, what is this human? This is the human Tyler. Formal. Is that really going to go on on Laurel's bridge? Okay, maybe. Is now the time and place? No. I mean, also flip side, we did have Tyler off on a secret mission behind the scenes, which we now realize is, you know, Two Towers style. Bring the help and show up when most needed. So could we imagine that that scene went on when... You know, we don't have the Leland Enterprise Discovery crisis boiling down. Absolutely. It happened in our hearts, Pete, and they worked it out. And now he's officially leaving the Klingon sphere forever again. And then we come to Terralysium, Matt. It's been set up by Burnham's mother. She brings them there in the future. Looking forward to Terralysium being this super important world in the future of whatever federation and starfleet exists 930 years from now yeah i mean presumably that's right where season three will start right they come through the wormhole and they're at terror elysium to see something whatever it is and who would have thought because that was such a that was a lovely episode the one on terror elysium you know kind of terror elysium of the oldie time people um but it was just kind of like it was a modest episode. It was just a, a little space yarn about people living largely without technology and things like that. It's it, it's got tons of potential. And who would have thought that that's where we will have been headed up uh, for season three? With that, let's go to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Pete, let's start with our final Twitter poll of season. How do you rate Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2? The choices, Captain, Commander, Lieutenant, and Ensign. 5% of voters who are probably the 5% that didn't see the episode gave it one star. 4% gave it two stars. 13% said three stars. And 78% said four stars. So another healthy outing. I couldn't agree uh, less with whoever voted the one star option on this. Clearly, again... Maybe you find something else to attempt to make you happy and entertain you other than Star Trek. I I personally would put it at like a 3.5, a 3.9. I, I feel like the bar was set maybe unreasonably high by the season one finale in that the Enterprise returned and everything was now linked and tons of potential for the future. And there still is all of that now. It's just kind of like, there's a little bit less of the intangible magic, but certainly plenty of tangibility to enjoy. Uh, some comments, Pete. First one from Andre Yeager. That's at Dr. Polo 1983. Loved the way they carefully explained why no one has mentioned Discovery or Burnham in the future. That should calm some of the purest concerns. Great writing, and now they can do whatever they want with the show next season. Wide open. We also hear from Ben Rothig, who's at Ben Rothig. I'm excited that I think where one course is going and excited to not have a clue uh, for what's in store for another. 
Next up, Pete, the ever-wise Annie Harrington, that's at any time left, who says, Man, I feel disloyal for saying this, but this was not my favorite episode. It was good, don't get me wrong. But I feel like it was for the fans who love battle scenes, and I'm not one of those fans. There were a bunch of moments outside all the fighting that I did love, though. Uh, Pretty much all the interactions between the characters, really. I'm skeptical about if they really went into the future and or will stay there. Something has to get uh, Tyler and Giorgio back working together in 31, and they would not write Laurel out of the show. Your thoughts, Pete? Well, like she said, the, the personal stakes are what make all that battle footage really worth it. Otherwise, it's just pixels in the uh, now named Battle of the Bleeps and Bloops. Uh, copyright Matt Lafferty, 2019. Moving on to JT Atkins. That's JTA is me on Twitter. Uh, an incredible season, incredibly concluded. What a fitting and thrilling episode. And what fun having the entire season build up so perfectly to this conclusion while never being predictable. So now get going on season three, please. Pete, I think he has a great point that for as much as in prior podcasts i've said you know i kind of liked the part a part b nature of season one this whole season was one storyline and we get the explanation towards the end of how it all fit together but i don't think anybody saw this exact outcome leading into this episode except the red angel um they really went for it matt and you know you lay season two beginning to end where wherever those points are <laughs> given the the uh snake eating its tail nature of this season and i think it stands proudly alongside shall we say like the zindi arc um with star trek enterprise uh you know something that uh i have always enjoyed something i know you very recently got through yeah it it was a ton of fun i think in the lead up to discovery i had my star trek spark relit and uh blasted through season three of uh of enterprise really thoroughly enjoyed it and uh it was right around that point when discovery came back and i was like ah enterprise season four Uh, i feel like i'm season three is so great i feel like i'm going to be let down well i got discovery now i can you know, as Kurtzman said, give a little time for a breath. And then, you know, in a couple of weeks, I can go check out uh, Enterprise season four. And uh, and yeah, because there's always there's always Star Trek out there to be watched. And even if you've seen it, you can't remember 780 some odd episodes. You can always go back and, and rewatch. Pete, a couple more tweets here. First one from R. Moore. That's R. Moore 6179. What a great episode. So much to enjoy. Loved all of the tie-ins from the beginning of season two to the finale, and especially loved the music during the ending credits. There were so many female characters showcased in the finale. Bring on season three. P.S. R.I.P. Cornwell. Frowny face. Last tweet here from Karen Chu. That's at Karen Chu. Honestly, still grappling with it. I need to watch again by myself to really absorb it. I was in a bit of a daze and had two very exuberant folk with me. Still, all the Burnham Spock moments landed like an arrow in my heart. Jet is on the disco. She was fantastic. Everyone was. We owe Tilly so much beer. Giorgio is growing on me again. The monologue and Enterprise send-off. 
OMG, the whole end, mirroring the start of the cage and also Burnham's monologue in the episode. I was slash am such a mix of joy and sadness about it. And the little red dot. You just know Burnham is wondering if Spock saw it and knows they made it. And it stayed there for a few moments even after the Enterprise is gone. Honestly, so much more to say, but enough for now. Well, Pete, I will say to Karen and indeed anyone listening, we are going to do a season two wrap up podcast next week. So if you have more to say, tweet at us, email fantasticgmail.com, check us out on Facebook, etc. Because uh, hailing frequencies will remain open. Well, let's keep them open, Matt, for Fred. Hello, Matt and Pete. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for the Star Trek Discovery season two finale. Whoa, what a blast. And literally a blast. Big fight scenes, perhaps for me a little bit too much and too hectic with all these little drones and shuttles. It was a bit too hectic and too much. But on the other hand, it gave a good impression of the massiveness of it. I liked very much to see Poe back in this episode. What I also liked is the assembly, the 3D printing or something like it, the assembly of Michael's suit. And also very cool was how she gets into it. Of course, we saw how her mother got out of it, but uh, still very, very cool to see. Although it reminds me a little bit of Marvel's Iron Man. And probably as big Marvel fans, it did the same with the two of you. What also was very nice was the fact that we now know that there will be a season three and that that takes place in the future. So no worries about canon anymore. And also Soniqua Martin-Green was very enthusiastic about this herself in the episode of The Ready Room where she had an interview with Naomi Kyle. Finally, we know the name of number one, and that's Una. Actually, I only noticed this because it was written in the Dutch subtitles, and it was said as Nuna, N-O-O-N-A. And then when I checked the English subtitles, the name was not present at all. It was also said very quickly by Captain Pike, and it's not Magel, like Magel Barrett, who played number one uh, previously. But then I looked it up and on Wikipedia it was stated it was Una. Uh, Wikipedia said Una, also known as number one, is the official character who indicates uh, the original pilot episode of the science fiction series Star Trek was the unnamed intellectual problem-solving second-in-command serving under Captain Christopher Pike. So then I listened back to the episode again, and indeed Pike says Una, and not, as in the Dutch subtitles, Nuna. Okay, so what were my less positive points? Now, my biggest problem, uh, the biggest problem I had, how is it that a single blast door protects Pike from the torpedo when he's standing just a few feet away? And actually, my wife said exactly the same when she watched the episode with me. Another little nitpick is, is the shortest way from the lab to engineering really via the bridge? Reno walks, namely with a time crystal in her hand, via the bridge, has then some smart remarks there, um, get off my ass, Pike, sir, and then she goes to engineering. 
a little strange. Uh, one of the other things was a bit, although the special effects are very, very nice, there was one special effect was that was awful actually. On the Enterprise Bridge, there was one explosion that was so terribly fake. It was the explosion that happened under number one's console. It looked li a little bit like a, a run, I don't know if you say it like that, a run of firecrackers. And my last comment is, I thought getting a better understanding between the Kelpians and the Ba'ul would take decades. And here we see the Ba'ul ship show up together with Sirana, Saru's sister. But altogether, a very nice episode and a very nice second season. And I think they did a very nice job of getting rid of all the problems of season one, including having Klingon ships with captains and commanders with a lot of hair. Okay, Matt and Pete, I want to thank you for this 14 episode ride that you took the time and waited for my and others feedback and recorded a little later than usual. And perhaps we see each other or hear each other in some other series. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Well, Fred, it has been a pleasure all season long to hear from you. And I know that we also have some other feedback uh, that we are going to be, not from Fred, but we're going to be sharing some other feedback from Derg, from JT Atkins. So a great jumping off point for our season two wrap next week. So definitely share those season two overall thoughts uh, for that podcast, Fred and everyone. Absolutely. And thank you again, Fred, for supplying us with feedback. Low these 14 episodes all in a row. Uh, some uh, hiccups on our end, more uh, actually uh, Facebook pages end where uh, I had actually replied to uh, Fred had looked to check our deadlines to uh, record our uh, finale podcast here and, and it didn't get through to him. Still, we got his his feedback uh, on Poe. Um, yeah, loved seeing her show back up here and, uh, you know, to to be part of the proceedings in the finale. And he actually sent a, a screen capture of that effect. I was fine with the effect the the mix of the the practical, uh, always good puffing out there kind of shades of Star Trek Two with the console uh, and the smoke. If only the Enterprise had some better design, maybe some some Dutch design elements where they wouldn't put these lousy wires in the backs of consoles and when they get overloaded, poof, smoke and sparks come out. But uh, such as this, it's an imperfect future, Pete, but one that we can still keep fighting for. So Pete, ahead of our season two wrap, ahead of us talking more about the Picard series in the coming weeks and months, ahead of the other geeky things that we talk about, like Avengers, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Cloak and Dagger, how can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E 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 10,422 followers, can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, on Instagram, on Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, there's more. 
facebook.com slash fantastic geek all one word with the ph like it today so as you mentioned matt we will have uh season two episode four already of uh cloak and dagger for you dropping tomorrow easter sunday we're going to be bringing you our big avengers endgame uh review next Sunday, that of course, April 28th, that of course, Orthodox Easter. So you can get your feedback in there, similar to the, the schedule we ran with the shocking Avengers Infinity War events. This uh, bringing it all back together, we'll have another uh, cloak and dagger in there for you coming as well. When the calendar turns to May, we will, of course, be talking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which returns May 10th and probably uh, similar to what we've been doing for Discovery in the Saturday to Sunday range. Those podcasts will be uh, arriving as well. So exciting times. I know Jessica Jones looming this summer whenever Netflix decides to give us one last go round of Marvel Netflix. But Pete, bringing it back to this season of Star Trek Discovery, been an amazing 14 weeks in a row and uh, looking forward to talking about the season one more time next week. But with that, it's time for me to say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word of this episode. I'm going, I'm going, get off my ass, sir. Get off my ass, sir. Sir.